Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you have championship DNA, then you know it's time to chase wins. We're uh, chasing wins this year. This is Chasing Wins. Hello and welcome back to the Chasing Wins podcast. I'm your host, Andre, with Jim. Uh, And uh, I just want to mention, download the Odyssey app, follow the Chasing Wins podcast, Turn on auto-download so you get these episodes when we drop them, and we appreciate you guys for listening. Um, so, Jim, we've had a busy couple weeks here, starting with the Chris Paul-Jordan Poole trade, which was like a blockbuster move for the Warriors. Um, definitely was a shock to the, to, to the fan base as a whole, but there were breadcrumbs and there were, you know, there was some noise out there. That, had, that we had heard that the Warriors were interested in Chris Paul. And most people had thought that in the context of a buyout situation, but um, turns out we actually ended up trading um, our most you know, valuable asset, you could argue from a contract standpoint, with Jordan's $28 million, uh, headed to Washington. And so now we have more contract flexibility with this move. Uh, that, that seemed to be a major... Um, upside point with it and and in fact you know he can add some value on the court as well from a playmaking standpoint settling us down having one of the best assist to turnover ratios in the NBA a guy that's pretty efficient as a scorer and a good decision maker and even though he's not as physically uh you know what he was you know five ten years ago from a defensive standpoint, I still think he is smart enough on that end to compensate for those uh, limitations. So just what are your thoughts on the CP3 pool trade as a whole and, and what it means for the Warriors going into next season? Hmm. So oh, I had a lot of thoughts about this, Trey. Uh, you know, and I need time to think about some things. Uh-huh. And, you know, in the, in the offseason, I kind of just shut my brain off a little bit. But in, in terms of Chris Paul, there's a lot of there's a lot of factors to consider for me. And uh, one of them, obviously, uh, you just mentioned is uh, the contract in and of itself. It's that the Warriors have given themselves some level of flexibility by bringing in this this guy that they have a chance to try to incorporate into for the first half of the season and see how it goes. Right. And you know, this is a unique change from 
pool, obviously. And there's a lot of good things to say about it, for sure. I mean, Chris Paul is, he's arguably a top five point guard of all time. And I, I think uh, if anybody has trouble with that, I, I think most people can easily put him maybe top seven, top 10 uh, point guard of all time. Uh, I think that's easily said. Uh, that's how that's that's the caliber of player that Chris Paul is. He's not some like semi star or something like this. This is you're you're essentially getting like a John Stockton late in his career, and you're essentially more or less uh, getting to getting him to come off the bench and just kind of fortifying your team and uh, basically leaving no gaps where there is poor play uh, out there in terms of what you're getting from your point guard, right? Because now with the combination of Steph Curry and Chris Paul, you have a floor general and a really powerful one at that at all times of the game, right? All 48 minutes, you have either Chris Paul or Steph Curry out there. And that just provides like unbelievable kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? stability yeah yep right and i like that a lot obviously we've talked about issues of size uh that's that's been you know this past season it's been all about the warriors playing three guard lineups four guard lineups just playing too small uh defensively unreliable uh from a size standpoint right so that you know i for certain matchups, that could be a potential issue. But for the most part, I think we're going to see a lot of stability. So it's an interesting situation because if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, if Chris Paul doesn't want to come off the bench and if he needs to, because obviously, right? I mean, we're expecting that to happen. Whereas we've also seen kind of um, reports saying that he's going to start or the notion is that they want him in the starting lineup somehow. Um, and you can see the complication in that, right? You sit loony, you go small the entire season. And, you know, that's that's a lot of wear and tear. Uh, playing small all season long. Uh, we've seen the different repercussions of that from different teams as well. Even the Heat, right? They, they went kind of small all the way. And it just, that wasn't good enough, right? Uh, and so... Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes with that. Again, I, I think there's a lot more positives with CP. You can you can move him if you need to for a, a piece that may fit better uh, at, at the halfway mark if it doesn't work out. But the Warriors have made a lot of moves, right? Uh, I think so far in the offseason. I mean, they got, what, two, three more moves left in terms of free agency stuff to just to fill out the roster, right? Uh, but again, we, we I think we have a lot to see still uh, in terms of who's who's gonna um round out the the roster uh but yeah i, I mean i want to i want to kind of go down the route of uh what they're doing overall in terms of what mike dunleavy's doing um but before i do that um like what did you think when they yeah. asked me um so I think we were getting a guy that like we know who's who's gone head to head, who's battled 
uh, us for years. Obviously, like with the Houston Rockets, you know, back in 1819, uh, with you can go all the way back a decade with the Clippers in 2014. Um, and even before then, like him and Steph have had a really close relationship, North Carolina connections, uh, even off the court, like they, they've, you know, had their, uh, you know, or Chris has taken, taken Steph under his wing and, um, Steph has always felt a certain type of way about like CP three and from, from a competitive standpoint and, it, and it's healthy and CP three's felt the same way where, you know, in 2015, you could kind of see and sense the shift in, you know, who, who the best point guard in the NBA is um, from a more, in a more demonstrative standpoint, right? Like it was arguable in 14, right? CP three and, and they beat the Warriors in seven games. But I think in 2015, when Steph won that MVP and had that, had that championship run, um, obviously the infamous, you know, double behind the back uh, move on the baseline that, that dropped them. Things like that, um, you could just see the passing of the torch, and then from that point forward, like he didn't look back. But then you move on to 2018, 2019, and CP3 goes to the Rockets, and that's probably the one team that was the most threatening to the Warriors in the West out of all their years, maybe outside of the Thunder in 2016, but that team was led by, by CP3 and Harden, and... CP3, I believe, than what the numbers will tell you is the the Rockets were actually a better team when CP3 was on the court and Harden was off than when Harden was on and CP3 was off. You look at CP3's advanced numbers and all, and he this guy is a walking positive. Like he any situation, whether it's with the Thunder, the Rockets, the Clippers, um, the Hornets, or the Suns, like. And I may be missing a team or two, but those were like the primary teams that I could think of. And he's always been a positive, whether he's played with young teams, older teams, veteran teams, championship teams, contenders, fringe playoff teams. Like this is a guy that, you know, will elevate your team regardless of the role he's in. He's efficient as a scorer, as I mentioned before, he's efficient with his possessions, right? And we're, we're moving off a player who is not efficient with his possessions. Like, Jordan Poole possessions are not efficient. Like, I don't know what people think, uh, but the guy turns it over a lot for someone who has the ball in his hands as much as he does. The numbers support that. Uh, he He's not an efficient scorer. Like, he sh- I think Poole shot thir- 43 from the field, 33 from three, and, like, uh, high 80s from the line, which is, you know, free throw percentage is good, but like from, you know, as a scorer, you know, in the paint, uh, he's solid, but everywhere else, I mean, you just see blue, like it's just cold charts. Um, and his shot selection, his decision-making, like you, you kind of put all these things together and it, it just makes for an unef- an inefficient player who doesn't defend at a high level and who doesn't rebound. And what I will say about CP3 is this. This is a guy that if he goes 0 for 7 or like 4 for 15, right? You're still going to you're going to expect and because he's good enough, he can give you 7 to 8 assists, maybe a turnover, 3 to 4 rebounds, a couple steals, right? And 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 competitive defense, right? He'll get a couple steals, 
maybe go for a couple loose balls. Um, and he'll get others involved, like in his own way. And he'll find ways to be affected. So while he may not be physically imposing, he's not six seven, six eight, right? He's not, you know, there's limitations to what he can and can't do. He's still a guy that's gonna find ways to be a positive on the court. And there's never been a situation where he hasn't. So you're playing next to Steph, Clay, and Draymond, Wiggins, Kevon Looney, GP2, uh, you know, and some rookies now. We're going to add some more pieces, like you said, but I think this is a move where you are transitioning from a guy that in Jordan Poole who he had a champ, he had championship experience in 2022. He contributed in a meaningful way, 50, 39, 90 splits in the, in the playoffs that year. 17 points per game, uber efficient with his possessions then. But kind of, you know, the league sort of was able to scout him easier, kind of figure him out, uh, and he struggled. And you can compound that with the punch. You can say the punch had something to do with it. You could say that his yo-yoing of minutes and opportunity in the rotation had something to do with it. But if that's the case, then Chris Paul, if he has to deal with those same issues and that same deck deck of cards, I would expect him to handle it much with much more grace because he has more experience and he has more, uh, you know, in pedigree and he has more, uh, the, the ability to adjust, I think is just much better. And so a guy like that, I think is the ultimate acquisition because we need guys who are flexible. We need guys who are, you know, uh, who understand how to win. And while Chris Paul isn't a champion, he still won. He's gone to, he went to the finals a couple of years ago. That's an accomplishment. He's made the Western Conference Finals. He's, you know, been to countless playoffs. You know, he's been plagued by injuries himself or his team. But at the end of the day, he's by no by no means he's a guy that's flamed out every season. Like he is a guy that's made it far enough to where you can say his teams are good and competitive, but he's just never been able to get over the hump. So the hope is is that. In a, in a backup point guard role, right? Because I know Mark Spears alluded the other day that he may be starting, which I think is noise. I think that's that may even be coming out of the Warriors camp so, so as to make him feel comfortable and make that transition smoother. But I ultimately think he'll be coming off the bench because I don't believe it is a viable option for Steph, Clay, and CP3 to start from a positional standpoint based on what uh, we demand right from a rebounding defensive and, and hierarchy standpoint. So, you know, I think it's, it's an upgrade in many ways, maybe a downgrade in others, but we won't know, you know, what this move means until we round out the rest of the roster. And I will say this last point, if we do end up keeping Kaminga and Moody, I expect CP three to, to elevate them uh, in a way that maybe not to the degree but in a sense, where he what he was able to do uh, in Phoenix with Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson. But the 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 stipulation there is on Steve Kerr to actually adjust and implement sets and, um, you know, uh, just overall adjustments that cater to their skill sets, because uh, Kaminga and CP3 should not be playing in motion offense. They should be running pick and roll. Moses Moody, I view as a Cam Johnson light, a guy that can catch and shoot, uh, maybe put the ball on the floor a little bit, play off of CP3 in simpler actions. So I think there's potential there, but assuming we keep them, which I don't know is necessarily going to be the case, but I do think he can elevate our younger core off the bench. 
but hopefully we do end up, you know, upgrading so we don't have to depend on their development to contend, you know, in a meaningful way down the down the line. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm still working with the assumption that they're both gone. Uh, Kuminga and right. um, Moody are both gone because they're kids. They're, it's, it's been told that they are unhappy. They've taken actions that have shown that they are unhappy uh, during the playoffs and when the playoffs ended. I think Moody like unfollowed the Warriors social media or something like that. Um, obviously, we heard all the noise about Kuminga demanding more playing time you know, moving forward uh, with a clearer role or else. So, I mean, that's just headache that the Warriors just don't need anymore. They just went through an entire season of all this drama that just doesn't need to be there anymore now that we've seen what's what. And, yeah, you look at the changes that Dunleavy has made so far, and it's... You know, it's very interesting, and I feel like it's also like a stark contrast from what they've done to this point. Uh, I think I was kind of thinking on this a little bit last night, and I'm, I feel like I really like the direction that Dunleavy is going so far, uh, you know, in his first year of trying, you know, this job, because uh, we don't know how you know, what kind of personality he has. We don't know how he thinks of various things that have happened with the team, but he, it seems like he's just, he really understands. Obviously he's been with the organization and he knows what's going on and he knows what went wrong. Uh, so he understands seems all the nuances of the two timelines. Um, I think he also sees the issues of Steve Kerr and it's interesting to see Dunleavy kind of fill out this roster and giving Steve Kerr these super efficient players, guys that don't turn the ball over, uh, guys that are just more solid, but guys that are used to playing uh, different types of, you know, basketball, different types of system. Chris Paul is not a motion guy. He's, you know, that's probably the biggest adjustment that we're going to see. Who's going to adjust? Is it Steve Kerr that's going to, change his system up and cater to, you know, a Chris Paul, or is he going to be stubborn and be like, Hey, Chris, we have a system here where you got to play off the ball and play the system that has been successful for our team and the staple of what we do uh, for the last whatever years. So which one is it going to be? Right. What do you think? Yeah, I expect it to be a little bit of both. I mean, I think CP3 can play off the ball. He's kind of shown the ability to do it in Phoenix and in Houston, uh, where he can, you know, the stampede ca like off the catch, where he can just catch the ball and then attack a closeout, get attack the mid-range, uh, get to the floater area, make a play. Um, so he can do that. He can shoot off the ball. Like, he's very efficient as a shooter off the ball, just catch and shoot. Um, jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price 
Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Those are a couple things, but obviously I don't expect him to be like a movement shooter, like coming off screens and stuff. Maybe he'll set some 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 misdirection screens and 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 slips and stuff to where he can get others involved. But I think ultimately uh, we're just going to see an adjustment from both. I think we expect Kerr to like run more pick and roll, kind of like what he did with Jordan, though. Like Jordan wasn't necessarily running only motion; he was running more isolation, downhill stuff. Kind of playing to his strengths a little bit, but Steve isn't ever going to abandon the motion as a whole. So I think you're going to see CP3 try to set the table for Clay, and maybe for some others uh, from a motion standpoint. But also get involved with his own strengths. What you know, whether it be pick and roll uh, and other you know kind of isolation switches. Like he CP3 loves to attack switches. Like that's one of his biggest uh, strengths. Is like. When he has a big on him, just get to that mid-range, burn the clock down. And we need guys that can do that. Jordan was actually, I mean, from what I remember and, and the film that I could point to, like he was relatively inefficient when it came to punishing mismatches. Like he lets a bonus off the hook more than he should have, right? He would settle for like long 30-footers or, you know, even against like a guy like Wenyan Gabriel who like played a little bit in the Lakers series. You know, he just wouldn't take these like more calculated shots, more intentional shots. I feel like CP3 is a guy that will kind of reset, bring the ball out, get into his move, uh, get to the mid range or you know in the paint, try to you know make something happen. And I think Steve is going to adjust to CP3 because he, you know, Steve is a guy that believes in the veteran veteranship, like the veterans, uh, the ability to, you know, put the ball in a guy's hands and say make the right decision. So I think he trusts his skill set and he'll adjust accordingly. And I think CP3 understands that the Warriors have concepts that that they have and and their bread and butter. So he has to also cater and and fill in those needs as well um as a point guard off the bench. Kind of what Dante did as well. Uh where he kind of adjusted and you know set set the table for guys like Clay, set the table for guys like Poole. Um so yeah, what what are your thoughts on that? And then we'll move on to uh, our next topic. Mm, okay, so I'm going to kind of give a different perspective, and that is that the system needs to upgrade, update, and change. Uh, the notion that Chris Paul is going to have to also make adjustments, play off the ball, and all these things that just tells me that. <laughs> If they do that, then it doesn't matter what player they get. It doesn't like, you know, like what you what what use is Chris Paul if you're going to ask him to play off the ball? Like it doesn't it doesn't really make any sense to me because 
probably uh, Steph Curry is the only one who is a point guard who is better with the ball in his hands, but he can also play without the ball in his hands, right? And um, I mean, be he's successful at it. Some people say that he's highly successful at it, right? But for me personally, I, I just think um, a mixture of things for him is better off, right? Uh, but most other point guards can't deal with that. Just playing off the ball, like what the whole responsibility of the point guard is to have control of the ball and have control of the offense and um, dictate what's going to happen. And you can't do that if you don't have the ball, right? And Chris Paul, we talk about he's been successful everywhere he's been. He's had the ball in every situation that he's been in. He might have been sparsely off the ball here and there, like if he's with James Harden and James Harden is ISOing, right? But these are not the types of players the Warriors really have anyway. So uh, there's really, you know, you're how much is Chris Paul? 30, 35 million dollar player, right? You don't bring a guy in like that and ask him to play off the ball. It's like you're limiting the effectiveness of who Chris Paul is. So this is again, I, I mentioned Dunleavy and the way he's built the roster so far. Um because, you know, the Warriors have been leading the league in tur uh, turnovers uh, for a number of years now. They're a very inefficient team. And yep. I guess, you know, their system is kind of built that way. Um, and they've had some players that are kind of, you know, turnover prone and effective uh, from a point guard playing standpoint. But then you get Chris Paul, <laughs> possibly one of the most efficient guys ever in the league, period. Yep. Um, and then you pick up uh, Corey Joseph, who is also, you know, he takes care of the ball. He's he's a professional. He's he's a guy mm -hmm. who's been in the league for a long time, who knows how to fill the gaps. If he needs to, uh, like, fill in a start for whatever reason, he can do that for you. Um, and he can right. provide just steady NBA minutes. Right. And that's something. And he's a third stringer. And so you don't really expect much, but. Things happen throughout the course of a season. You never know what happens. There, you know, there were times when uh, a guy like Ty Jerome had to play major minutes because somebody was out, right? So, uh, in, in that sense, getting a guy like Corey Joseph instead of picking up some, you know, some G League guy that you've never heard of, or some guy who's you know is going to um, kind of not give you the most stability. Uh, whereas now I feel like Dunleavy is kind of bringing in experienced people across the board, whether they get to play or not, right? Uh, so that's a, that's a kind of clarity that he's bringing to this organization, Dunleavy is, um, where he's going to put NBA-ready and reliable players on this roster, right? Even the players that he drafted, uh, as a guy who played two years of college in uh Pozemski, I don't, I still don't know. Yeah, Pozemski, yeah. Pozemski, okay. And Trace Jackson, obviously, uh, he's Trace Jackson Davis. He's a four-year college player, right? And so, when you think, when you talk about a guy who's played four years of college, you're talking about a made player, a guy who is uh, more ready to play in the NBA than just about any other player, because they've had four years of experience. And that's, that's, that's uncommon, right? 
So they're ta- they're essentially taking a made player and seeing how they can incorporate that into the Warriors system. Let me um let's transition to Dre, uh, because that was the first move of free agency, by the way, uh, of any team. Like Draymond was the first player, first domino to fall. Um, and not only for the Warriors, but like I said, for all the free agency. So four years, a hundred million. I think, I think the deal is like front loaded. So it, as the years go on, like it's it's like less and less money. And then I think the fourth year is a player option. I think. So those are like the details. Um, and it's actually a very team friendly contract, like very uh, flexible and financially sustainable for like what the Warriors need. Um, what are your thoughts on like just the overall, the move and then what it means for the future of the team and how do you, you know, do you, and then also let's touch on clay a little bit and his contract situation. But first, what are your thoughts on the Dre extension? So the Dre extension was, I guess more or less it was expected. I didn't think the team was going to. Obviously, that's one of the first things that Dunleavy said was that he was going to prioritize uh, trying to re-sign Draymond. And, well, they did that. I think, if I read correctly, that the first year, the money is going to be like $22 million or something like that. Right? So this is kind of the number that I was always kind of looking at and expecting that they might sign him into like a deal where he's getting somewhere between 22 to 25 mil if if on the high higher end um you know there were talks about him asking for 30 mil or saying that that's what he's asking for and that's what the warriors are going to have to give up if they want to keep him i just i never really bought that notion i i just it didn't sound right to me He's never, I don't think he's ever gotten paid 30 mil, has he? As a player at, at any point in his career? Um, what, what was the question again? In terms of, like, um, has he? Draymond, has he ever gotten paid, like, no, 30 million? No, 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 I think he was at 27, 28 the last few years. Yeah, so I'm looking, I'm looking at it so, now, and... He had a three. I think he had a three-year, sixty-six back in twenty fifteen, something mm-hmm. like that. And then, um, after that, he signed in twenty twenty. Okay, so I mean, I'm looking at the numbers now. Uh, his salary, and it's like, okay, like eighteen mil in nineteen twenty, twenty-two mil, twenty-four mil. Uh, so he was five years, 82 in 2015. So yeah. that was like a little bit more than what I said. So, so I don't understand how, yeah. I don't understand where this notion that suddenly he wants 30 million from and the, at the back end of his career, I understand maybe this is one of his, you know, final like major contracts, but yeah, 22 to 25 mil per year sounds about right to me. Uh, and I know a lot of people are frustrated with Draymond. I know a lot of people wanted to move on from Draymond and they wanted to trade him. They want him gone. He just, he's just such a headache on so many different levels. So they yeah. want to move on from him. But for me personally, um, they just won a championship, you know, um, a year ago. And 
he was, he, you know, he was still in the middle of that. And I, I think as long as they build correctly uh, and put the right pieces on this roster, yeah, I think he is uh, still a critical part of uh, the piece to the puzzle. Uh, and defensively, just you know, I, I can picture the Warriors without Clay, just because we literally saw it for the first twenty games or so of last year. And they won 18 and two to begin last year without clay, but they did have Draymond during that run. And so I'd want to the- mention like, so Wiggins took a pay cut, right? Yeah. And it was a significant one. He could have demanded way more money. He probably has one of the best contracts in the NBA. And then Draymond also took a pay cut, like 25 million a year is a bargain for, for a guy that for what he's done, for what he's contributed for who he is. And I know like, you could argue the offense is declining, and that's been true for years. He's getting older. His defense isn't getting any better. Fine. But his numbers, from an impact standpoint, are still one of the best on the team. Like, he's one of the most impactful players on the team. Now, this year in the playoffs, I will say, he this was the first time he was a net negative on the court. Not a great sample size, but it's something to monitor. But I will say this. I'm not going to take all those analytics into consideration when you consider the fact that that he has a great chemistry and he's the anchor in the backbone of our defense. So that to me is what makes him so valuable with clay. We, like I said, we've seen uh, Wiggins, Draymond and Looney take pay cuts. I mean, Looney's making seven to $8 million a year. I mean, that is also one of the best contracts from a value standpoint in the NBA. He was getting multiple, 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 20 plus rebound games in the playoffs. So when we look at Clay, what number are you looking at for an extension? And then also, do you even expect him to take a pay cut? And and if not, are you, you know, are you kind of would you be willing to accept moving off of him? Yeah. I'm I'm absolutely prepared to see uh Clay be gone if he's not willing to make any adjustments you know that's been kind of the story of his career with the warriors and it, it was definitely much easier to stomach before the injuries obviously right uh, since the injuries obviously the warriors you know paid him big money despite him missing you know two years with those uh with those injuries and now he's come back and especially in the playoffs he's proven kind of not to be the same defender anymore uh, and you wonder kind of where his mind is in regards to that, because we know for a fact that defense is something that he took great pride in in the past before those injuries. And now he's just, you know, he's more focused on the offensive end and less focused on the defensive end. Uh, he wants all the shots. Uh, he pouts if he doesn't, you know, if he goes whatever number of minutes without getting a shot or something like that. Um, obviously there were some issues with him and pool uh kind of you know both wanting to score and all these things and now the warriors are in a situation where i guess more or less just about everybody is sacrificing to some extent uh and they're doing whatever they need to do to stay on the team and clay it, it's tough to put a number on it right like thinking about it right now it, it's just like I want to say, man, I want to say like 25. 
I agree. I think around, I think the most I'm willing to do is 27, but I think ideally I'd like 23 around there. And then it, you know, funny enough, you average the two out, you get 25. So 25 might be the number, you know, he's not better than Wiggins. He's not. No, not not close. I don't think he's better on either end. I know you could argue offensively at times. Fine. But overall, I don't think he's a better offensive player than Wiggins. Wiggins provides rim pressure, slashing. He shoots at a 40% clip from three. It's not like Clay's shooting at 47, 48% from three. He's shooting like, I think, what do you shoot, 41, 42 this year? Like, the gap in shooting isn't even what you think it is. Uh, now, they get different shots. Clay actually takes way higher difficulty, way higher degree of difficulty shots. Wiggins takes more open shots. But it doesn't matter because. Clay also has poor shot selection. So it's not like he's like getting closed out on. He's forcing bad shots up. You know what I'm saying? So part of his percentages being even what they are is actually they should be kind of higher. Wiggins is just a far more efficient player. And the numbers reflect that. Clay may be may be the better shooter, but as a scorer, Wiggins is far more efficient because he doesn't take ill-advised shots. He doesn't force the issue. He doesn't press. He fits in where he's needed. He rebounds, gets second chance points. Like and it's I don't just even more all around player at this point. All around. So uh, yeah, I think for me, I think if they don't come to a agreement with the clay extension to a reasonable number, I think his skill set is more replaceable now than it was, you know, six years ago. Right. Yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. that's the situation for Clay. Now it's on him to recognize that to some degree, realize the kind of playoffs dud that he had. Uh for the first time, really, you know, he, he was just so unreliable, right? And they already had that with Poole. The last thing they needed was another version of that uh, from one of their core veterans. So Clay yeah. was just so disappointing uh, for me on so many different levels. So, yeah, he has to pay, take a pay cut. And, man, obviously we have to see one more season of how, how he'll look see if he comes back better now that he'll have a off season to and and to get in shape yeah actually play games and you know not come into the season out of shape or whatever the whatever it is that happened this past season yep. yeah yeah um just last thing with the draymond extension um so he's what is he he's 33 years old uh been in the nba for 11 years or 10 years 10 10 10 years 11 years He's obviously played a lot of minutes, and he's had a lot of miles on his body. So how do you see him aging? Like, I don't expect it to be, like, graceful and because and, and, he's not a skill-based player. But I know a lot of people think he'll, like, be really, you know, on, on a steep regression, you know, uh, a decline by the age of 35 maybe, 36. But – I don't know. I mean, I do think there's still time for him to like. We've seen Al Horford, we've seen Brooke Lopez kind of evolve and in, in their games, and there's no reason why Draymond can't. And I'm not saying that he will because I haven't seen any evidence of it the last, you know, four or five years. But at some point, right, you do have to adjust, and and I do think there is a path for him to age more gracefully than we think. Uh, than we than we expect. But what are your thoughts on just this contract and how 
you expect him to, you know, play it out overall on the court? Mm, okay, so that, that's a, that's an interesting question because, I mean, they signed him to uh, four more years, right? So yeah. that's until he's, what, he's like 37? 37, if he opts out, you know. And, okay. But, but yeah, 36, 37, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would say that he can kind of play, be more or less the role that he's been all these years for the Warriors for the next, I would say next, the next two, three years. Um, that's, that's his kind of window of, uh, I, I think as time goes offensively, he'll have to let go a little bit of the level of playmaking that he does, meaning like the amount of possessions that he takes up to make those plays because He's a part of the issue in terms of the Warriors' offensive inefficiency. He's a major factor there. It's actually, I'm interested in seeing how it changes when Chris Paul is in there, right? Because now you have Chris Paul and Steph Curry, who are both better on the ball than Draymond right. is, right? Yep. Uh, and they get away with letting Draymond handle the ball more than Steph, but. You can't really do that if Chris Paul is on the freaking floor too. Now it, mm -hmm. you have to change your offense and have Draymond work around whatever it is that Chris Paul is good at doing. Um, and yeah, I, I mean the offense is going to have to uh, it's going to have to switch up, and we have to see how that looks for Draymond because the concern for the Warriors is that Draymond is ineffective if he doesn't have the ball, right? But right. you have right. to put that to the test. You have to see how he finishes. You have to see um, how he looks in different roles. Uh, if you tell him to, you know, stand in the corner at times and see, uh, you know, how how good he can be as a as a spot up corner shooter or something like this. You just have yep. to give him different roles and see what he can work with. So I think he kind of has that Dennis Rodman ceiling. Kind of, I think I think Rodman when he was done with the Bulls, he was like thirty six. Mm. yeah in his final year okay so i mean and that's when he was guarding like carl malone and you know that's how they won the final Did a damn good job of it too yeah yeah so yeah i could see draymond still you know uh being in that role still being strong um obviously his whatever athleticism and all these things are slowly going but in terms of his know-how it's 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 gonna it's gonna be there always until um until he's not on the Warriors anymore. So right. I'm not too worried about his play falling off necessarily. I'm more interested in seeing how his game adjusts. Now, he has to adjust now. Yeah, it can't be Draymond-centric, like traffic cop, pull the ball at the top of the – like you just right. – doesn't. it makes no sense to run that. Yeah. I agree. Um, all right, let's transition to the final kind of news slash topic, but – Probably the most important one, which is what what have we done so far? Well, we've last night we signed Corey Joseph, obviously, like you mentioned earlier. And what are we kind of planning on doing moving forward? I know uh, we have summer league tonight, but from a free agency standpoint, like what what other moves are we going to make? So Corey Joseph, obviously, a veteran point guard, thirty one years old. I think he averaged like what is it? Seven points, four assists last year on 40. It's like 46, 39 splits, like pretty efficient, uh, 
pretty decent production. He'll be a third stringer for us. He'll kind of take up that Ty Jerome, uh, Chris Chioza type Wanna of role. Wanamaker. Just going to buy stuff. minutes. Yeah, buy yeah. minutes. Get, you know, keep CP3, keep Steph healthy by just eating up playing time and taking up those minutes, you know. And I think this is a move where, you know, Dunleavy kind of said it in his press conference. He said, we're going to go after a veteran point guard. We're going to get a wing and we're going to go after a big. And when people like people were like shocked that we like signed a guard, like Dunleavy said this, like we're going to go after a third string point guard because he said we needed some, someone that could relieve, you know, players of, 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 of bringing the ball up and those, those responsibilities so none of this came as a shock to me. I just think people are just angst and eager to see, you know, more high profile moves, but it hasn't happened yet, obviously. Uh we only have the minimum contracts available, so obviously the flexibility and the options with which we can um maneuver, you know, and 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 try to acquire certain players is limited. So yeah, I mean, I think I just think this is a, a signing that doesn't necessarily move the needle. I think this is a signing that just is kind of just rounds out the roster overall, but I think we still need to address the main points of issue, the main issues here, which are, which remain to be positional size, rebounding and defense. And so when I say that, I mean, I'm talking about more so the power forward position, which you've been beating the drum of for over a year now. Um, you know, a guy like, and I, I mentioned Tory Craig all the time, but like, this is a guy that really fills in those gaps because he can shoot the ball at a 40% clip. He can defend at a very respectable level. He's a very good rebounder, averages about five over five a game, and he doesn't play that many minutes. So he does a lot in such little time. And he can cut. I was watching some film the other day. He can slash. He has off-ball capabilities. He's a very good screener. I didn't realize how good of a screener he is. And on top of that, he actively boxes out. I, I was watching film, and, and I was watching him put a body on, on his man repeatedly, guarding fives, guarding fours, actively chasing the ball, looking, looking, you know, to he has a nose for the ball, you know. And obviously, he's not a guy that's going to win us the title, like, but he's a guy that can stabilize our bench. Give us a good, you know, give us some good minutes, positional versatility. And I think that's what we were missing last year was, you know, we had Anthony Lamb and we had Jermichael Green out there. They just weren't getting the job done. They weren't cutting it. I think Torrey Craig can be a guy that that actually gets the job done, that that can be a connector um, and can be viable against any matchup, right? So Otto Porter was the, was the like you've been mentioning, was the missing piece was the missing component last season the guy that you know provided Draymond some relief offensively as a spacer but we missed that and so a guy like Torrey Craig can be a viable defender someone who gives Draymond you know some spacing offensively has played next to Chris Paul in Phoenix so he has that connection has that chemistry um and then also another name is Dario Saric who's like power forward shoots 40 percent from three uh, can rebound a little bit, finish in the paint a little bit, okay defensively, but I view him kind of in the belly slot where he can play the five uh, next to Draymond. I think he'd be actually a solid pickup. 
I think they could have some positive lineups. And, yeah, I mean, Sarich is just a solid Warriors player. He actually has some very good slashing capabilities uh, that I was able to pinpoint. He's a very good passer at the five. He's not what Bielitsa was, but very respectable. I think he can play and thrive within the motion offense. So those are some names that I've, you know, and then Mason Plumley, I think, was like the last guy who I, I like. He's seven footer, really good passer, really, really solid rebounder, very good, great finisher at the rim. He shot 88% at uh, from a field goal percentage standpoint in the playoffs, 88%, which is very good. And it's not on low volume, it's on decent volume. So I think, you know, that's a guy I'm looking at. And as a backup big, I think he could be really good for what we like to do. And he's solid defensively. So those are the few names I'm looking at. But again, we one name is off the board now with Corey Joseph. So we have two slots left. I'd like Torrey Craig and Sarich personally, but they're, they're still on the table, right? They're still on the board right now. Hopefully we can get them. But what else do you expect in free agency? And what do you want to see? Uh, improve? You know, what areas do you want to see improve? This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. So, I mean, it's it's a tough question. I, I Because they're right now they're trying to fill out the roster, uh, kind of, like you said, if they can fill it out with Torrey Craig and Sarich, and if you can get them both on the vet's minimum, I mean, that's I guess that's the toughest, that's the most challenging part of it is to sign them to that kind of contract because – a uh, guy like Tory Craig, so he's been getting paid five mil for the last couple of years. So it's strange to think that he would go back to a minimum contract now that I think more or less NBA teams have an idea as to who he is and uh, what kind of a role he can play uh, as a backup for uh, playoff contenders. So... I mean, if if other teams are not interested and they don't sign him and the Warriors are able to get him for the Vets minimum, obviously, yeah, that would be wonderful. Um, same thing with Sarich. Same thing with uh, TJ Warren. I mean, that's, that's a double-digit score uh, forward. A guy like that shouldn't really, should not be available for uh, the Vets minimum. So if you can get him, a guy like that, for a Vets minimum, I mean, that would be like a gift. This This guy you're talking about, this is a guy that got, okay, so let's see. He was on a Vets minimum contract because I think I don't, he might have been bought out from his previous one. I, I'm not quite sure what the deal was. So Sarich, I think, was true. Are you talking about Sarich? No, I'm talking about TJ Warren. Oh, TJ, yeah, yeah. So TJ Warren was bought out, and then he was picked up by the Suns. There you go. Okay, so prior yeah. to that, you know, he was getting paid, uh, you know, in – in uh eight figures and right this guy's getting 12 million something like this so if if you can get a guy like that for the vets minimum i mean that is a major asset you're talking about you know the guy is you know like he can give you like 15 18 points uh five rebounds like just you know solid across the board knows how to uh, work in open space 
those are the kinds of bodies that the Warriors need. Uh, you know, he's 6'8", 220. Like, he's not a small guy. So, yeah. yeah. Those, so, guys like that, if, again, if you can get him for the vet's minimum, that's a gift to the Warriors. I think TJ Warren as a score. I, so, here's my thing with him. He's a good player, and I actually would take him on the minimum for sure. 6'8", can score, no doubt. Um, my only fear with him is his ability to rebound and his ability to defend. But I do think it can work if he plays the three. I don't think he can play the four for us because I don't think he's a, a good enough defender or rebounder that Otto was. I think he's probably a tier and a half below, maybe like a tier and a half, tier or so below. But he does have positional size. That's good. And he does give you a little bit of rebounding. He can defend a little bit, but... I think we need a little bit more insulation. So if you can get, hopefully, like, again, Torrey Craig and TJ Warren, now your optionality and your versatility and your con- and the combinations that you can work with when it comes to lineups, it's beautiful at that point because then now you got guys that can score, guys that can shoot, guys who can defend, guys who can, you know, now you got some something to work with. And next to Draymond, now it's, like, so much – so many combinations, but it would require obviously Tory Craig to maybe take a little bit of a pay cut and it would require them to also sacrifice part of their role, right? They may not be getting 25 minutes every night. They may get 16 minutes or 20 minutes. Like there, it requires some buy-in. So I do, I do understand the hesitancy and the apprehension that free agents have to joining us because we have a couple of young players on the roster still playing the wings position and this is a team that, you know, Jermichael Green was not happy about his minutes last year. Like, and he's a journeyman, like a guy that's played for the Clippers, for the Grizzlies, for the Nuggets, and then now for us. But like, he wasn't happy with his minutes. He said it verbatim. I mean, so, you know, veterans, you know, you want to sign the guy guys that are, you know, receptive to buying into a team concept. So we'll see. I mean, there's still names on the board, and that's the encouraging part. But hopefully, you know, we we make a move soon because uh, the last thing we want is to, you know, limit our options to guys who probably won't move the needle at all. Kind of like last season, Jermichael didn't really move the needle. uh, And neither did Lamb or, um, you know, we didn't really hit many much on free agency. Even Dante, like in the playoffs, was up and down. So... We need we need more consistency, stability, and and versatility. So, work more work to be done for sure. Um, and and I don't know if Kaminga and Moody are necessarily on the move yet. I I would hope they are. And I think part of this holdup that we're seeing is because they're uh, they they may be floated in trade talks, and and that might be um, a more more of a priority for Dunleavy at this point. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on like free agency and stuff and and that kind of thing? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would say it, it's interesting. Um, I don't know that if Kuminga has actually been, you know, flo- his name has been if Dunleavy's Dunleavy's been floating his name around because I feel like if he had, it would be in the trade rumors. Like that, he's available. there. There's been some rumors. There, there's been some stuff with Indiana. Um, you mean in the off season or like? No, no, no. Know? This, yeah, like within the last few weeks. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What? What? So, for example, yeah, the, they were discuss- 
they were discussing um, for Duarte and and the number seven pick. They were discussing, you know, moving. But the thing is this, right? Duarte is a guy that's a guard, and the seven pick is still a kid. Like we wouldn't we to get a veteran that can actually make a difference. It's tough because Kaminga only makes six million dollars, so it's difficult to move that contract for guys that make more money. Um, so his name has been floated in, to move up in the draft. It just didn't happen. But I okay, think, okay. So leading yeah. up to the draft, moving up in the draft overall. But I do think that was a ploy to like reconfigure our assets so we can make an even bigger move. But yeah, his name has been floated for sure. It's just a matter of for what. Like I don't think the options are there because his the flexibility isn't there, right? So you look at Moody. He that's another four million. And then you look at GP2, who makes $9 million. And I don't want to get rid of GP2, but if there's a move to be made for OG, that's something you got to look at. But I I would prefer just keep it uh, Kaminga and Moody because I do think GP2 is a guy that is just too valuable for what we do, and, and I just don't want to move off of him. But that we, we just don't have as much flexibility now. That's why I said Jordan, in the beginning of the podcast, I said Jordan's contract, man. That has the most like value because it's twenty eight million four years. Like that to me was the most flexible contract we had, and we moved off of it. So we kind of now don't have as much money to move around to make a big move. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens in the coming weeks. But over the next few days, do you expect us like to? Is there any names in free agency that you think we can pick up, like that you would like to see? No, I mean, you know, the the Warriors have enough guards now, obviously. So it's time to pick up some bigger bodies, like you said. Uh, the names that you brought up are good, uh, especially because the Warriors are limited in what they can pick up, and uh, it's the vet minimum guys that the Warriors are looking for that they're hopefully uh, going to be able to convince some guys to come. Uh, and take less money, sacrifice a year, uh, build up their brand and, you know, their kind of value in the league like Dante just did. He just got a big payday, right? So, uh, kind of, you know, show show those guys that, hey, you have a potential to make a high earning uh, just by joining us for a single year. So, so yeah, you know, it's I think it's relatively simple. Uh, I, you know, I'm so, I'm, I'm a little confused as to, what they could do in terms of trades and moving guys, right? Um, I guess they, they do want to fill out the roster first and then do something, but it's a little confusing because, yeah, I mean, Kuminga, like yeah. he, he's the backup small forward and you do it's, need wings on the team. Yeah. Um, but it's like him and Moody are, I'm, I'm confused. Like they're kind of redundant a little bit as wings for the team mm-hmm. um and and yeah it's just it's just the lack of clarity man with those guys that's so frustrating and the fact that yeah they're going into their third years they're expected to take a leap but then right. we don't know what that leap is going to look like with the warriors mm-hmm. um yeah it's just so that's the only kind of uncertainty but to kind of summarize everything together um, no matter how how you slice it, the Warriors got better. Uh, For to sure. Replace, yeah. 
to replace Jordan Poole with Chris Paul, I mean, that's such a stark contrast in um, abilities on the floor. You know, Jordan, all the all the issues that he had on the floor, like such as inability to defend at any like you know reasonable capacity, uh, inability to rebound, just just an inability to impact the game in right. any other way than scoring himself, which he did comically which badly he, of. Which he wasn't even like it's no, not. He was, and he I'm was not trying really bad. We're not trying to even drag him, but like he wasn't even good at like the one thing he was supposed to be good at like in the playoffs he was just not even score like bro he sh- he shot 45% true shooting like 45% true shooting that on 10 points per game off the bench like the season before he was probably close to north of 60 on 17 points per game in the playoffs. It's like a completely different player. Completely. And you could, again, we could blame all the factors and this and that and whatnot. But at the end of the day, like he set a standard and an expectation and he set the bar high and he didn't even come close to that in the playoffs this year or even the he regular was unplayable. Season. He was yeah, unplayable. unplayable. Uh, he scored 10 points on, uh, what is this, 10 shots? <laughs> he took more shots than he. Yeah. Um, converted them into points, uh, shot 34% from the field, 25% from the three-point line on almost five attempts. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, this is... Just like shot turnovers, you know? This is a fucking joke. <laughs> like, this is <laughs> one of the bad, worst man. productions like you've ever seen. Like, you could argue he was... You could argue that he was worse than Kuminga, who didn't even yeah, play. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, He didn't even play, and he was somehow worse than him. That's how he was bad he was. Than, um, and again, we're not trying to drag him, but like the standard. I'm dragging that he, him. Well, the standard that he set, like I remember throughout the season, I'm not going to lie. And I was saying this in the live watches. It felt like there were moments where he was worse than like Lamb or like worse than, because Lamb was doing positive stuff out there at times or like worse than Dante, right? Dante makes 5 million a year, whatever. Like he's, he's not supposed to be in Jordan Poole's like he's not supposed to be in Jordan Poole's like breath like that not in the same breath not in the same sentence they're they're two different players right one guy is uh, the, the second third best player on a on a championship team from a, from an offensive standpoint offensively the other guy is like a mid-level player who just you know got signed for one year there were times Dante was just clearly out like just impacting the game in more positive ways. There were times that I felt like guys like Ty Jerome and Lamb were just more solid. Uh, Kaminga, like you said, Moody. Like when I saw when I started seeing those things, it really, it, it, it was when I was officially out on Jordan. Like I, I just knew, I said this before the playoffs, but I said our championship hopes depend on how few minutes Jordan Poole plays and how many minutes GP2 and Dante play. Because, the more minutes Jordan played, man, I just knew they were going to be negative. And funny enough, his plus-minus numbers weren't too bad, like overall. But he he just was in the moments where we needed him, he was just unproductive. That game one versus the Kings let us down. That game four versus the Lakers had zero points, like two turnovers. You think Chris Paul is going to do that? Like, he, if he has zero points, like I said, he's going to have seven assists, two steals and be scrappy and try to win those minutes as best he can. Like, 
he'll he'll have a rip through. He'll get to the free throw line. Something like zero points, bro. Like that. He'll make a smart play. He'll make the best play possible, and he won't fumble the ball in the most important point of the game or yeah. some, something like this. There's so many fundamental issues that a player like Jordan Poole, uh, who has you know so much talent, but he just he has to put it all together. You know what I mean? And yeah, um, I think he'll was, be fine in Washington, though. He'll have the yeah, rest. yeah, yeah. He'll yeah. have the opportunity. He'll flourish. He'll get the shot attempts. I don't think obviously they're not going to win a ton of games, but I think he'll improve as a player just from a experience and rep standpoint. I just think just confidence, man. He just doesn't confidence, do the, yeah having the ball in your hands, right? Going to a different system where the ball is in your hands. The coach trusts you. Uh, to be that guy because that's the money that you know you signed him on for. Right. So it'll be the it'll be the pool Kuzma show, and it'll be a super maybe super wow. fun but ineffective, uh, inefficient like this kind of stuff, right? But who knows? Yeah. Maybe Jordan can really come in because we're talking about in, like inefficiency now, but Pool could be a completely different player and absolutely you know, with a completely absolutely. different kind of efficiency. If given that role and given that trust, uh, given that leadership, uh, whatever, right? And he wasn't given know, any of these things. One thing we do know is he's very talented. So, like, yeah. that talent's going to be brought out. It's just a matter of if it's the right fit and if it's yeah. the right coach and opportunity, like you said. So Yeah. So, Chris sure. Paul, I mean, I can, I can picture a scenario for the Warriors where – you remember for the Suns a couple of years ago – or not uh, last season, uh, he not this past season, but the season before that, right? When they were just cruising and they were like the best team in the league, right? And right, they, were, right. they went, didn't they win like 60, 60 or 61 64. games? Yeah, so something like ridiculous like that. And and they were kind of coasting, you know what I'm saying? And I, I see, I can see that something like that happening for the Warriors where they're just so stabilized that they're just gonna be beating a lot of teams. You know, and uh, these these are going to get a lot of rest and yeah. Uh, yeah. it's going to be on automatic and uh, kind of stuff like this where um, I, I think good things are going to happen. I, I think the, their roster is already better than what it was this past season, even if they don't uh, pick up some of these guys in free agency. Um, even just the draft, the fact that I'm excited about a draft pick, I mean, that should, that's interesting, right? Cause you know, I'm the one that wanted the two timeline thing to stop and right. focus and, you know, focus on building the team to maximize Steph Curry. And yep. Yep. Uh, I, I think with trace, you kind of have this opportunity of, well, so he, he can score 20 plus in college. Um, and it's not like the Warriors need anything close to that from him, but I'm excited by the way. I think when you think about a guy like that can slip, like imagine if he can just learn the offense quickly and, and, and then he's slipping screens, getting easy dunks. Like he's more athletic than Looney. Right. And he can make reads. He can pass. If he him can Chris you know, Paul. dive at the yeah, same thing with CP three Steph's gravity. And then CP three's uh, on ball, like pick and roll stuff. Like there's, so much to be unlocked. It's on Steve yeah. to actually uh, empower them, you know, and put yeah, them Trace out there. is, I mean, from what I can see, he's not a shooter, but right, he's, he's a play, a play make. He's a play finisher. He's a playmaker. He right. plays in the post. He, he can uh, create offense as well. He, there's a versatility to his game, um, and right. 
he's an explosive finisher. He's an elite finisher. And uh, he is just, I feel like, in a way, you can look at him as a, almost as a veteran of sorts. Uh, you know how Steve Kerr looked at a guy like Anthony Lamb as veteran, you know, and he, he played, he also played what three or four years. I don't remember. Yeah. He was, he was two way, but he played multiple years and, and he's, and by the way, uh, uh, Trace is 23 years old. So he's older than Moody. He's Jordan Poole's age. Yeah, exactly. So you're talking about a guy who's seasoned, who, um, and he knows how to play, uh, you know, that that anchoring position. So we'll see. I mean, he, I don't know. Defense, I never I can't I can never just look at the numbers. I have to see you play. I have to see what you're about on that end. But uh, just from uh, looking at the statistics, I mean, this guy is three blocks. That's 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 different. And that's elite. So for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, um I want yeah, we just wanted to touch on the the rookies there for a sec because uh, they um they're we're actually st- summer league starting today, so looking forward to that, guys. Um, but we'll wrap it up here, and I appreciate everybody for listening. Uh, download the Odyssey app if you haven't already, and turn on auto download. Uh, and we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, once again, we'll see you guys uh, next time. <laughs>